Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. Welcome back, my old school students. We look ahead to Chapter 6 in the history of WCW World Championship Wrestling. This is WCW 101. And welcome to Beyond the Bell, your home for all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. This edition covers the monumental decision to place announcer, third string announcer, Eric Bischoff as the executive vice president of World Championship Wrestling. We relive the White Castle of Fear. Cactus Jack lost in Cleveland. The debut of the Shockmaster. Find out how the international title was born. Plus, we look at the tag team of the 90s, the Hollywood Blondes. All this and more after this quick break. We begin Chapter 6, The Bischoff Era Begins. You know that feeling you get when you save money on parts without having to jump through any hoops, track points, or make a bunch of extra trips to the store? Yeah, that's the one. Introducing Speed Perks from Advance Auto Parts, a rewards program for guys who love getting under the hood. No cards, no points, no nonsense. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. In 1992, Cowboy Bill Watts was brought in to run WCW with high expectations. That's where we left off in Chapter 5. Unfortunately, his antagonistic personality alienated his workers and his supervisors. Plus, his being out of touch with the then-current wrestling product kept fans away. Watts' superiors had enough when negotiations between Watts and Nature Boy Ric Flair were not going too well. Ever since Flair's departure a year and a half earlier, WCW fans chanted Flair's name at every show, and the higher-ups at WCW wanted him back badly. Watts was demoted to the booking team, taking away his power regarding contracts and operations. Watts found this unacceptable and resigned. He left World Championship Wrestling. Everyone was expecting Tony Schiavone to be promoted, but instead, WCW officials went with third-string announcer Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff? Who is this Eric Bischoff? Well, Mr. Bischoff's route into wrestling came about as he was working in the sales and marketing field at the American Wrestling Association's home base of Minnesota. Bischoff helped design a game and worked out a deal to advertise the game on the AWA's ESPN network show in exchange for a percentage of the profits. 
This led to Bischoff doing odd jobs backstage for the AWA until he was made an announcer and later a booker during the AWA's final days. After the AWA had folded, he applied with the WWF for a job but was turned down. He actually interviewed for an announcer position there. Eric then got a job with WCW. This was after a tryout alongside former AWA co-worker Diamond Dallas Page, and it went very well. Eric was put in charge of television operations with Bill Shaw as his direct supervisor. The booking committee swelled to over a dozen members, with Bischoff joined by Greg Gagne, Bill Dundee, Jim Ross, Mike Graham, Larry Zabisco, Keith Mitchell, Jim Barnett, Sharon Sidello, who was the head of pay-per-view, the pay-per-view division, Michael Hayes, with slots left open for the returning Ric Flair, and Sid Vicious, which was to be led by Ole Anderson and Dusty Rhodes. Amazingly, Ole and Dusty were put in charge despite the millions of dollars they each lost during their tenures of running WSW themselves. However, due to his close ties to Watts and Bischoff's dislike of him, Jim Ross was phased out of WSW programming, and then he left soon to join the World Wrestling Federation. You know, I don't mind the wrestling business, but if I got to spend most of my time defending myself to this corporation, the hell with it. And Bill, you know, imploded and told these white shirts and the red tie guys where they could stick it in no uncertain terms. And then after him, the statement came out, there will never be another person ever that's been involved in sports entertainment that will have anything to do with this business. Some of those people on the other divisions didn't want us. So we had to find that person that could channel Ted's money and Ted's wishes the right way. And that's when it came down to Bill Shaw. Bill was the person that used Ted's money the right way to buy the equipment, certain equipment that we needed on the road, more handheld cameras and more cable and uh, lighting and, and pyrotechnics. We bought our own audio system. I think Bill Shaw was a smart enough man to know he wasn't smart enough to run the rest of the business. And he was looking for somebody he could trust and somebody he could run the wrestling business. Shaw, I think for the lack of a desire to go out and interview endless people who would have been more wrestling people, he got Bischoff, who was more of a marketing TV guy. But the irony of that was Eric's roots were wrestling. Eric started as an announcer working for Vern in the AWA. And there was such a negative taste in the, in the senior management of Turner's mouth about their wrestling experiences, and Eric sold himself as exactly the 180. And that's what sold Shaw. He was a visionary. He was sharp enough to listen. To what the guys we're talking about, they wouldn't listen to me or you, whoever was in charge. When Bischoff got his job, he walks in the office the first day, he sits down, man, he's just, he's on cloud nine. He calls me, he says, hey Mike, come here. So I get up out of my office, I walk in, he said, if you're running this company, what would you do? I said, we're having a hard time getting crowds where we shoot our TV show. So I said, before I came to work here, my partner, Steve Kern, spent almost a year romancing the people at Universal Studios to put a wrestling show that they would 
pay us to put the wrestling show in Universal and be a part of their park. You could shoot, you know, 26 episodes in, in a short period of time and days, and you have a fresh audience every hour. Take a look at this crowd ready to go here at Disney MGM as WCW Worldwide begins a new chapter from the Disney MGM Studios. At that time, we were doing three or four clashes a year on TBS and two or three pay-per-views a year. Here on TBS Live from St. Pete, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the Clash of the Champions. We had like a $300,000 budget for the building and lighting and effects and all that kind of stuff. I said, we're giving away the clashes for free. It's costing us the same amount of money. So you need to slowly phase out all the clashes and create more pay-per-views. Then you'll make more money. Even if you sell, you know, 5,000 units at home, it's more money than you're making just from the arena income. Now with Watts gone, Flair was signed, but not allowed to wrestle until June because of a non-compete clause in his WWF contract. Sid Vicious couldn't wrestle until May for the same reason. Vicious was signed for reportedly $450,000 a year as Vader was given a new contract for reportedly the same amount. Watts' departure also kept the injured Rick Rude with the company as he had the U.S. title in his possession. Reportedly, Rude was not about to leave with the title because Watts wouldn't pay him during the injury. But Shaw got Rude the money he was promised. Johnny B. Bad, a.k.a. Mark Merrow, was signed to a new contract and the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith was brought in for a lot of money despite only headlining one event during his entire WWF career. The previous year's SummerSlam at the time, which was against Bret Hart in England, that was the only event that he really headlined as a WWF player. Watts actually left the company in decent shape as he had hired some new wrestlers such as Chris Benoit, Robbie V, we now know as Rob Van Dam, Max Payne, along with the returning wrestlers such as Flair and Vicious. But despite all the new faces, something special was happening in the tag team ranks and WSW didn't even realize what they had. Towards the end of Watts' reign, WSW was looking for something to do with a guy named Stunning Steve Austin, who had been floundering since the breakup of the Dangerous Alliance. WSW had Barry Windham teaming with Steve Austin and Brian Pillman on various occasions. Eventually, the WSW brass decided that they wanted Windham as a solo act, Despite Austin's reluctance, he was put together with Flying Brian Pillman as the Hollywood Blondes. Since Bischoff and the new booking team had lots of things on their mind, they pretty much left the Blondes alone, and they quickly established themselves as WCW's top tag team. The Hollywood Blondes had the ability and charisma combined, and some people were already calling them the tag team of the 90s. They had the ability to take tag team wrestling to the next level. The battles between the Blondes and Steamboat and Douglas were getting credit as the best match on many of the house shows. Okay, Jim, Barry Wyndham will be in that tournament a little bit later on here on WCW Saturday night, but he had something he wanted to say to Flying Ryan. He wanted us here with him to hear this, Barry. You know, first of all, Pillman, I've been working on something here for a while, but I've had my priorities a little bit wrong. They've been in the wrong place. Now, I've got the World Heavyweight Championship staring me right in the face, I've got the United States Heavyweight Tournament right here today. But I'll tell you what I've done. And I'm not going to be like other people that we know. But I've gone out and I've found a man.
that I want to be your partner, and I know we've discussed this, that he can be the world tag team champion with you. Now, this man held the world television championship longer than any man alive. And he was only beaten once, and that was by me. But I'll tell you what, two weeks later, he took the championship away from me. The guy I'm talking about is somebody that's not going to leave you hanging in a balance. And somebody you can count on when the going gets rough. And the man's name is Austin, and he's right over here. And Pillman, he's ready to back you up 100%. All right, stunning Steve Austin. I'll tell you what, Shivani, it's got to boggle your imagination to think of the impact the three of us are going to have in this sport. Barry Windham, future world champion. And then think of the dominance that can be achieved when you bring two world-class athletes together and they mesh as one. When you take those talents and abilities and you focus on a common goal, you create an unbeatable machine. You take a real good look at this trio right here because it's going to be a familiar sight in the world title picture for a long time to come. You know, Tony, I don't need or care to have anyone tell me how great a wrestler I am because, believe me, I know and the people know I held the world television title longer than anyone in history. And I'm going to bring that same ingredient that it takes to be a champion in our quest for the World Tag Team Champions. It's, not, it's something that I can't explain. Brian and I aren't like every other wrestler. We don't just go out there and wrestle for the sake of wrestling. We have a need to have a belt around our waist, and that need may turn to greed. And we will be unstoppable as a team, Tony. Count on it. Okay, there they go, Jim. Go on their way to the ring. This new tag team as we go back to action. As the company reorganized, Super Brawl 3 took place on February 23rd of that year. Two Cold Scorpio defeated Chris Benoit. Davy Boy Smith beat Bill Irwin, the goon. And Cactus Jack pinned Paul Orndorff in a Falls Count Anywhere contest. The Rock and Roll Express got a DQ victory over the Heavenly Bodies, Dr. Tom Pritchard and Sweet Stan Lane, in a battle for the Smoky Mountain Tag Team titles. Yes, Smoky Mountain was in WCW. Murder, they came out here last week and killed your rating. You bring them out here like Henry Kissinger at a steak dinner, sitting them there, slapping us in the face, they're losers. You beat them. about a bunch of stuff that's happened where our fans don't even know and don't care. But I'll say one thing here, we've established that ring right out there is neutral ground. And I'll tell you, if you guys want to get your tails out there, we'll let you settle. Why don't you get in that ring and hook them up?
Marcus Alexander Buff Bagwell lost to the Hollywood Blondes. Dustin Rhodes retained his newly won United States Championship over Max Payne, and Barry Windham took the NWA title from the Great Muta. And in the main event, in the White Castle of Fear match, which ended up being nothing more than a strap match, Vader defeated Sting. Accepted an invitation to a party at the White Castle of Peel in the Rocky Mountains. The party. Let's go! Roger, we're clear.
this is one game you're going to lose. <laughs> There's something very familiar about all this. you have here reminds me of your personality cold very funny sting <laughs> what's up you're here to accept the challenge of vader are you ready to play the game all right all right so what's the game could not wrestle because of his WWF contract. WCW gave Flair an interview show like the old Piper's Pit segment in the Federation. It was known as a Flair for the Gold. It became a Saturday night mainstay as Flair would interview wrestlers from a set done up as a plush apartment, complete with a French maid and all. Fifi was on fire. This segment would become a key to getting an angle for Flair's return to the ring when his WWF contract had expired, allowing him to now compete. One of WCW's best angles of the early 90s happened on a Saturday night episode in April. But unfortunately, the follow-up soon became an embarrassment. In an attempt to turn the new babyface Cactus Jack more sympathetic, WCW created an injury angle for him. Cactus had a brutal match, so brutal that the match had to be heavily edited to be allowed on the air, with the world champ Vader that he managed to win by countout. The next week, they ran a rematch where Vader powerbombed Cactus on the concrete floor. I remember this, this exact moment I was watching on television. This was shocking for WCW at the time. Part of the buildup of Vader's heel status was the legitimate injury to a rookie who was temporarily paralyzed after after a Vader powerbomb in the ring. 
the show ended with wrestlers coming out as Cactus was loaded onto an ambulance and taken away. Before we were kind of sh- before the moment on Monday Night Raw where Shawn Michaels received that Inzuguri kick from Owen Hart that knocked him out. This was predating that, creating that shocking atmosphere to an ending of a professional wrestling show. This was on TBS. Both announcers, Tony Schiavone and Jesse the Body Ventura, left the desk to help Cactus get into the ambulance. Shocking was very realistic. Ventura even got into the ambulance and went to the hospital with Jack. Look what Race has done. He's pulled up the mats. Wait a minute. Race is telling Vader something. That's the concrete, Tony. Race has removed the mat. If he power bombs him here, Chesley, he'll kill him. Oh, whoa, no! Oh! He power bombed him on the cement, Tony. He's not moving. He's not going to get up. He can count all day. He's not. This was a great angle, but things started going wrong immediately after. WCW had just started using writers for the first time. And it was decided to run skits, which would be known as the Lost in Cleveland segments. For some reason, instead of running interviews of Jack from the hospital or from home, where he could empathize what kind of danger he went through and that his career could be over, WCW decided to make them comedy skits where Jack had amnesia. A reporter went to the hospital to find Cactus and... They realized he was gone. A couple of mental patients sent her to Cleveland in search for him. In Cleveland, Jack was leading a bunch of homeless people and thought he was a sailor. Sailor Jack. Uh, After several of them ran, WCW mercifully pulled the plug on this glossed in Cleveland. Cactus Jack amnesia. Awful, awful series. These segments were banned from WCW television. I always wanted to do movies. I always wanted to direct movies. This is Catherine White reporting for WCW from the hospital where Cactus Jack is under observation. Or should I say was under observation. Jim Hurd, once again, said only Anderson hates Cactus Jack. And if you don't do something with him, you're going to have to let him go. So I wrote a mini movie. Um, you said you knew where Cactus Jack is. Yeah. Well? Not well. Definitely sick. Definitely sick. Not well. Cactus was missing. His wife couldn't find him. You mean he had amnesia? Well, it was more like one minute he was Jack and then suddenly he was someone else. (laughs) Dewey, play nice! I was going to make him this unbelievable character that was so common man-ish. It was unbelievable. That came back from the, you know, from the hobo jungle. That's what Hurd wanted, and I gave it to him. Jack. Cactus Jack. Why do you call me by that name? Oh, I see. Swampy. He told you my name was Jack, but I'm just a simple sailor with no name. I'm afraid Swampy's a bit adrift. Too much shore leave. 
Money was no object. I was spending a hundred grand a day on production. That is Cactus Jack. Who else would call you Bang Bang? I call her Bang Bang because of her temper. She's always firing off her cannons over the bows of other ships looking for a battle. I was having a ball match. You know what I mean? I was doing my thing. Jack, come on home. I am home. Six aired, and he walked in one day, heard it, and said, that's it, take it off, I don't want to see it no more, I don't like it. Didn't say anything about it, just pulled it off. As you have seen, Cactus Jack. Then, on May 23rd, WCW saluted those wrestlers who came before with their slambery pay-per-view event. Many legendary wrestlers of the past made an appearance, and some even wrestled. WCW honored Eddie Graham, Vern Gagne, Lou Fez, and Mr. Wrestling 2 as they were inducted into the new WCW Hall of Fame. In Legends matches, Dick Murdoch, the magnificent Don Morocco, and Jimmy Superfly Snuka had a match against Wahoo McDaniel, Blackjack Mulligan, and Jim Brunzel, which was thrown out. Thunderbolt Patterson and Brad Armstrong, subbing for his father, defeated Ivan Koloff and Baron Von Roschke. Dory Funk Jr., seconded by Gene Kanitsky, battled Nick Bockwinkle, seconded by Vern Gagne, to a draw. Slamboree was supposed to be the reunion of a legendary WCW heel faction as the four horsemen were going to reunite on a flare for the gold. However, WCW could not come to terms with Tully Blanchard, and the fans were disappointed by the replacement. We'll talk more in depth about this during the Horseman Files the 1993 edition. Instead, they chose Paul Roma, best known previously for his stint in the WWF, a part of the jobber tag team, the Young Stallions. The fans were not happy, and the problems continued when the scheduled opponent for Sting, Scott Norton, also had to be substituted due to a dispute about money. The Prisoner, formerly known as Nails in the WWF, came out to the jeers of the fans for a terrible match won by the Stinger. However, another substitution worked out much better. One of the matches proposed was a rematch between the tag team champions, the Hollywood Blondes. Brian Pillman and Steve Austin took on former champs Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas in a cage. However, Douglas's contract was about to run out and they wanted to re-sign him for less money. Douglas was claiming an injury as well. WCW higher-ups thought it was a pre-pay-per-view renegotiating ploy, so the bookers really had no idea if he would be there. They worked around that by having the Blondes refuse to wrestle the former champs again, but losing a non-title bout to the masked Dos Hombres. Dos Hombres were wearing full tights, so the only thing you could see was their hands. One was clearly Steamboat. Clearly as he did the interviews, but the other in the pre-pay-per-view appearances was Brad Armstrong, though he was identified as Douglas by the announcers. Since Brad wrestled earlier on Slamboree, they put Tom Zink in the match instead. The four men wrestled a hot match, which included a great near fall after Steamboat cross-body blocked the both blondes from the top of the cage. 
the blondes finally won, and Zink did such a good job that nobody realized a switch was even made. In other action from Slambury, two Colts Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell defeated Bobby Inn and Chris Benoit. The returning Sid Vicious squashed Van Hammer. Hammer was injured during the match, and this was his last appearance in WCW for several years, until the boom period again took place. Recruit and Paul Orndorff defeated Dustin Rhodes and Kensuke Sasaki. Barry Windham retained the NWA World title over Arn Anderson. And Davy Boy Smith lost to Vader by disqualification. Vader injured his ribs during the match and had to take it easy for the next few weeks. In May also came the infamous Orlando TV tapings. In early 1991, let's backtrack, WSW was criticized for having the Freebirds lose the tag team titles at a TV taping before winning them on a pay-per-view. The Orlando TV tapings totally blew the 91 title switch out of the water, if you remember, fans. To save money, WCW set up a TV taping at Universal Studios theme park in Orlando. Instead of booking arenas like usual, kind of what TNA currently does uh, at Universal Studios. They tried to weed out the actual wrestling fans and handed out signs and shirts to the audience. WCW sent down a large portion of their roster and proceeded to tape several months' worth of shows in a marathon session. These tapings proceeded to reveal most of the promotion's plans for the rest of the year. The Hollywood Blondes were the tag team champions, but Paul Roma and Arn Anderson were announced as the champions. So were the Nasty Boys. Barry Windham was the NWA champion, but it was revealed that Flair would win the title pretty soon and lose it to Rick Rude a few months later. Sid Vicious was shown with the WCW World title. The only title that escaped the tapings was the U.S. Championship, as every other title was exposed. Despite their efforts, some wrestling fans managed to get into the tapings and post the results on internet news groups. These tapings would soon become a major headache later in the year for WCW. On June 16th came Ric Flair's long-awaited return to WCW's ring, at the Clash of the Champions. It was set up by a segment of a flair for the gold as the guests were the World Tag Team Champions, the Hollywood Blondes. The Blondes acted like jerks to the Nature Boy, and the next week they came out to insult the Horseman even more. Pillman came out as Flair and announced Austin as his guest for a flair for the gold, or, should I say, a flair for the old. They even had a cardboard cutout of Arn Anderson. Great comedic skip. Great, great comedic skip between these two. CW action right after. Welcome to a Flair for the Gold with your host, Nature Boy, Rick Flair. Also featuring Fifi the May. Tonight's special guest will be the WCW World Tag Team Champions, stunning Steve Austin and flying Brian Pillman, the Hollywood Blonde. And now, Nature Boy, Ric Flair! Uh, here we right. go. Woo! Baby, you're looking great. Double A, we're going to slow it down a little bit tonight, brother. After our party last, last week, week we got to bring things back down to earth. Yeah, here we yeah. are. It's a flare for the gold. We're live again. It's Penthouse Paradise. And as promised, another really big show. We got the world tag team champions here. We got Double A over here. We got Fifi. We're one week out 
from Flamarie, legend reunion at Double A. I know oh. one week from now, you got Barry Windham for the World Heavyweight Championship. You ready, Double A? You know I am, champ. But I know you're ready. Are we ready for the World Champions? Oh, wait just a minute. All you guys out there, take that deep breath, because I'm going to let Fifi walk that aisle for all of you. Fifi, bring it down that aisle one more time. Ooh. This is why we are flair for the gold. This is why we're on the way live and getting back to next week. Lavery 93. Missy, baby. Baby. What's wrong? No, no, no. I didn't know she got on the car, too. Hey, Missy, we're aware of your many talents, honey. And you're a pretty good reporter, too. Just relax. Reporter, too? Well, yeah. Let me tell you something, yes. double A. Not in this lifetime, not even on your best day, could you be a 60-minute man. Ooh, I'm not touching that double A. I think you're both oh, your topic, man. Honey, you got to grip. Calm down. Everything's great. Oh, oh. And Have tell, a seat with I'm going to tell your little servant lady that if she wants to look good in that outfit, I think she needs to see a doctor. Whoa. And let me tell hey. you guys, you haven't seen the last of me. Whoa. Yes. Hey. Jeez. Whoa. <laughs> well, <laughs> I told you we were going to... We were going to slow the show down a little bit, but as usual, we're cooking you, okay, Double A? You said bottoms up. I guess she took it literally. Well, I guess she did. You okay, Yeah, baby? I guess so. All right, well, as promised, the World Tag Team okay, Champions, Brian Bryan and stunning Steve Austin, the Hollywood Blondes. Here they are. Woo! All right. Brian Bryan, how are you, brother? Good to see you. How you doing? Good. You're today, didn't you? No, you're going to make a good for you, fella. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, I can't tell you what's real to death to have you on the show. You know, Brian, I've known you five, six years now, brother. You're finally at the top of your game. Steve, just caught your act in the last couple of months, but Double A tells me you could be the man someday, brother. You guys got the straps now. You're the champ. Yeah. You're on top. What do you think, huh? It feels good to be on top, Rick, but uh, before we get started, I just want to say that Brian and myself have been on sets everywhere, and this is top-notch. This is the best I have seen. You know well for yourself, old man. Oh, know, Steve, man. He's a little well, stuffy you know, here to me. He's a little stuffy here. Like, I feel like I'm in a museum. You got some great antiques here, Rick. How much pay for that old statue over there? Steve, that's oh. double A. Anyway, Rick, <laughs> you've had a fabulous career. What was it, six, seven-time world champion? Nine times, right? Nine times. Uh, yeah, but actually, do you do me a favor? Yeah. Could I get your autograph? Mind you, it's not for me. My great-grandmother is a big fan of yours. Oh, gee, Brian, you know, well, for, for the sake of your great-grandmother and for the sake of people that grow old, you know, we all grow old, but very few of us get great, Brian. Hey, hey speaking <laughs> of great, I was in the history books just the other day, and I was looking back, way, way back, when you, Rick, and Double A were part of a uh, elite organization, um, it was the Four Clovers, the, the Four no, Hunchbacks. No no, 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 The Four Horsemen. Oh, you mean that famous backfield from Notre Dame? Well, similar. We did about the same thing for wrestling they did for Notre Dame. You know, we, we blazed our own path right across the country. We dominated. Well, you dominated, Rick. But that was yesteryear. That's all in the past. Well, hey, hey, the hey, four, hey, hey. If the Four Horsemen were around today, they wouldn't stand a chance because the Hollywood Blondes are the team of the 90s. You're looking at it right here. 
Well, listen, you know what? I didn't bring you out here to, to, to run you down or anything else. I want to talk about, and I'm sure the folks out here want to talk about Slamboree 93. You got Shane Douglas. You got Ricky Steamboat. You got the steel cage. Look at you guys. You ready for the match? Look, Rick, we've already given Steamboat and Douglas a brush with greatness. Let's not lose sight of the fact of the real reason we're all at Slamboree. Thanks to the generosity of Steve and myself, we're flying in all those has-been, washed-up, old-timers, these so-called legends who have fallen on hard times, and we're going to bring a nice, hot, home-cooked meal to them. And i got to believe your right-hand man, old Double A, might be first in line at that buffet because it's obvious he hasn't missed too many meals lately. Uh, that's no, it. No, no. That's oh, it. No, no, no. Wait. Double A. Double A. Hey, brother, we, we want to let this slide tonight. We've got a hot show going here. You guys, you know what? you got to remember one thing. You're the guest on my show. No, we're yes, the 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 star. Star. You're out of line, and you're out of your league on this field, pal. No, this isn't worth this double A. Like I said, you guys are the guests on my show. We're not going to take this. You sit down, we'll forget the whole thing ever happened. No, Let's keep talking no, here now. No, no, no. i got to say, Arn, who are we kidding? You guys are going to be there, too. You get together with the rest of the old codgers, maybe after the, the meal, the play some codgers. checkers, yeah, right. turn some raises, maybe soap the dentures. You guys can have a similar time. Is that right, huh? These guys uh, are coming across pretty good right now. Maybe we should talk about it a little more seriously. Well, maybe I was uh, ready to ask you a question, Rick. Maybe uh, before you blow that pacemaker, you tell Brian and myself, are you ever going to break out those small old trunks of yours with the wool on them? Or that robe just made out of pterodactyl And get back in the ring, can you cut the mustard? Is that right? Well, maybe I can break that stuff out right now, and I can show you how to cut the mustard. Wait a minute. I can't do it. You're ready to find out my show. This is my show. This set up the main event for the clash, Arn and Rick against the Blondes in a two out of three falls match for the titles. The show was somewhat decent as it featured Ron Simmons over Dick Slater, Lord Stephen Regal defeating Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and Barry Windham retaining the NW title over two cold Scorpio. It also had Johnny B. Bad forfeiting to Max Payne when Payne fired one of Johnny's bad blasters, a gun that shot confetti into the air into Johnny's face. Vader, Vicious, and Rude defeated Dustin, Sting, and Davy Boy Smith in a six-man tag. In the main event, Flair came out to a huge ovation, and the fans booed when Arn started the match. They wanted the Nature Boy. The fans chanted, We want Flair! We want Flair! every time Arn was in and erupted when Arn tagged out. The Horseman won the match in two straight falls, but did not get the titles because Barry Windham attacked Flair for a disqualification. To set up this feud, Flair had offered Windham a spot in the Horseman earlier, but Windham was jealous of the attention Flair received upon his return. Sadly, the return of Ric Flair did not do well in the ratings, as this was the lowest-rated class show to this point in time. The Blondes ended up with most of the blame as management was already annoyed that they have gotten, they had gotten over with very little help or direction from the bookers and the staff. After the Lost in Cleveland skits, you would have thought WCW would be wary of running more tape mini-movies. They should have been because that would have spared the fans from the Beach Blast promo videos. 
It starts with Sid Vicious and Vader announcing at a press conference that they had joined forces as the masters of the powerbomb. Not too bad, yet until we get to their opponents, Sting and Davy Boy Smith are playing volleyball on a beach with a bunch of orphans. Vader and Sid show up to confront their heroes. Everyone is in casual wear, by the way, fans, except Vader is wearing his mask to make sure everyone recognizes him. Right? Of course. As they're jawing back and forth, the evil midget, Cheatham, swam up to Sting and Smith's boat, wearing a huge shark fin on his back so he wouldn't attract attention, and planted a bomb inside of it. To make sure the viewers realized it was a bomb, the bomb was the old round style with a fuse, of course. The cartoon look of the trademark bomb icon. It's like the one Adam West couldn't get rid of in the Batman movie from 30 years previous, right? Fortunately, the orphans warned our heroes about the bomb, so they escaped the bomb blast. However, the blast did destroy Sting and Davy's boat, so they were stranded and couldn't make it to Beach Blast. <laughs> no, of course not, right? Apparently, the camera crew took pity on our stranded heroes and brought them back so they could make the pay-per-view, of course. Go ahead and turn the news out here on an island, bunch of kids. Can you imagine that, huh? Biggest day of their life coming up. Beach blast. What are they doing out here partying with a bunch of snotty-nosed kids? You mean to tell me that they missed our rally to be out here with a bunch of snotty-nosed fingers? <laughs> Hold down, gentlemen. Make my blood boil, too. But according to the map, that island got... Colonel, I think I see the island just ahead of us. That's it right there. They don't accept our offer this time. They're going to be in for a big... Yeah, he's ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Do you trust Cheatham to get the job done? Please, let me do it. No, no, I'll take care of it. They'll see the reason I assure you and ask for Cheatham. I trust him like he was my own. I told Willie B to be prepared in the event that Sting and David Boy don't see the light. If they decline our proposal, they'll be in for a beach blast like they've never seen before, so to speak. Hey, what's your name? 
Looks like we've got some uninvited guests. Hey, Sting, what's going on? Look, it's Sid and Vader. What do you suppose they want? Everybody just stay here for a second. This looks like it could be pretty interesting, Davey. Let's go see what they want. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking maybe we should just forget about this whole thing. We got the tickets. What are you talking about? Well, I'm just saying, look look at the size of these guys. We got two tickets on our hands. We can fly out of here and forget the whole I don't want no offer from them. Well, Davey, look at one more time. 450 pounds, Van Vader, 6 feet 7 and 300 some odd pounds, Sid Vicious, masters of the power bomb. I mean, maybe we should just take these tickets and just retire. just desperate people and desperate people do desperate things but i'll tell you one thing they're gonna be tough okay guys let's go back and play some volleyball let's have some fun kara and christy what do you want to tell me um, huh? there's a funny guy hanging around the boat a funny guy hanging around the, the boat say what hey sting Sting, where's he going? He's going to see the guy hanging around the boat going click, click, click. No, they wouldn't. Sting! Video side fans, the Beach Blast show took place on July 18th and had some very good action. Paul Orndorff retained the TV title over Ron Simmons. Scorpio and Bagwell defeated Slashinger and Pierce. Tech Slashinger and Shanghai Pierce, who went on, of course, we know, to become the Godwins and Southern Justice in the Federation, as well as Slashinger becoming Midian later on, Dennis Knight. And Stephen Regal, of course, now William Regal, 
in the WWE, gaining a victory over Eric Watts. Johnny B. Bad got some revenge in a victory over Max Payne, while Dustin Rhodes and Rick Rude battled to a draw in a very good match. And it's a very solid Iron Man challenge match for the, for the U.S. title. Davey Boy Smith pinned Vader to continue their feud in a tag team match between Vader and Sid Vicious against Smith and Sting. The Orlando television tapings came into play here for the remaining two matches. Ric Flair defeated Barry Windham for the NWA title, as revealed in May. However, the syndicated shows that had Arn and Paul Roma as the new tag team champions were coming up within the next month, and most people were expecting a title change at this show. WWE swerved everyone by leaving the titles on the blondes, but ended up paying for it soon after. The Orlando tapings caused major problems soon after as the owners of the NWA caught wind of Rude holding the NWA title at the tapings. The NWA was not happy with WCW using their title however they, f- however they felt like it. WCW felt they could show the title anytime on any broadcast they would like. It still was an NWA property. Plus, the NWA title was supposed to represent the entire NWA and they wanted the champion to go to all the NWA-affiliated promotions and wrestle. The NWA informed WCW that they were not allowing the title change too rude. WCW decided they were not going to let their wrestlers work elsewhere and that no one was going to order them around and withdrew from the NWA. WCW officially resigned at the NWA convention in September, of course. WCW also kept the NWA world title since they considered it as an asset they bought from Crockett. The NWA was angry, but they really had no recourse as they didn't have the money to fight Turner. So now WCW had a belt without an official title. You think the best course of action would be to either drop the title or immediately have a match to unify with the WCW title, right? Of course. But what do you do with the tape footage of Rude with the former NWA title? To continue the Orlando taping woes, WCW decided to swerve the fans, of course, like we said, to keep the titles on the Hollywood Blondes at Beach Blast. The Orlando footage of Arn and Paul Roma with the tag team titles was coming up on that syndicated show, but they had the clash coming up before the show would air. No problem, until Brian Pillman was injured before the clash and could not wrestle. So at the clash on August 18th, the Horseman team won the tag titles from Austin and substituting for the injured Pillman, Stephen Regal. The Blondes were broken up before Pillman could even return to the ring, right before they really even hit their stride and peak in WCW. Austin was put with Colonel Robert Parker, and Pillman was made face when he returned. The tag team of the 90s didn't even last a year. The potential was ruined from quite possibly the greatest tandem to come into WCW in the 90s. Also at the Clash, Ricky Steamboat took the television title from Paul Orndorff. Two Cold Scorpio beat Bobby Eaton, and Johnny B. Bad pinned Max Payne in a Johnny mask, which he'd been, he'd been wearing since having the Bad Blaster sent right to the face, which wrapped up their feud. Sting and Ric Flair teamed to defeat the duel of Awesome and King Kong. Road Warrior Hawk and Dustin Rhodes beat the Equalizer and Rick Rude. Vader pinned Davy Boy Smith in the main event with Cactus Jack returning to attack Vader after the match without explanation of the previous skits about him having amnesia. However, this clash is probably most remembered because of the Flair for the Gold segment that appeared on this show. Why? Because of the debut of a new wrestler in WCW that became yet another black eye on the promotion this very year. 
The segment was to set up next month's War Games match at Fall Brawl. A confrontation between the two teams happened on the set of a flare for the gold. On one side, Sid Vicious, Vader, and newcomers to the promotion, members of Harlem Heat, Kane and Cole, later, of course, we know as Stevie Ray and Cole, or should I say Stevie Ray and Booker T. The other side had Sting, Davy Boy Smith, and Dustin Rhodes, and the big announcement of their partner, the Shockmaster. The segment was to set up next month's War Games match at Fall Brawl. A confrontation between the two teams happened on the set of A Flare for the Gold. On one side, Sid Vicious, Vader, and newcomers to the promotion, the members of Harlem Heat, Kane and Cole. Later, of course, we know Stevie Ray and Booker T. On the other side had Sting, Davy Boy Smith, and Dustin Rhodes, and the big announcement of their partner, the Shockmaster. Yes, the Shockmaster fans. The idea was a big dramatic entrance for the mysterious Shockmaster as he would burst through the wall and threaten the heels. It didn't work out that way. Pyro was set up to make a hole for the Shockmaster's entrance, but it didn't make a large enough hole for him. As he tried to come through it, he tripped and fell down on the stage. The hat to hide his identity, which looked like tinfoil glued to a stormtrooper's helmet. It looked like glitter on top of a stormtrooper helmet. Uh, it falls off to reveal Fred Ottman, last seen as Typhoon in the WWF. Ottman was also the brother-in-law of Booker Dusty Rhodes. So the Shockmaster was actually Tugboat. As the prone Shockmaster crawls to retrieve his helmet, Ole Anderson is backstage for the voiceover, and he can't see what just happened. So Ole starts doing the threat as Ottman's on his knees, so you can hear the wrestlers laughing off camera. Soon, the announcers are laughing as well as Ottman gets back into his position to finish the segment. This was classic. True classic WCW. After the debut, the Shockmaster gimmick was destroyed, and they tried to make something out of it by turning the Shockmaster into a lovable klutz, Uncle Fred, but eventually Ottman faded out of the picture. How one trip can change your career. to shock the world because he is none other than the Shock Master! Right. The Shock Master! <laughs> I told you. Oh, God. I don't care who you are, boss! I don't give a damn who you are! So you're the man that rules the world. They call me the Shockmaster. You've ruled the world long enough, Sid Vicious. Get ready. Come on, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? Come and get me. Come after me, Sid. I'm ready. Along with Davy Boy, Sting, and Dusty Rhodes, we'll see you 
at the Fall Brawl at the Roar Games until then. Obviously, I was there. Obviously. Obviously. Who came up with it? I did. I did. But but it was it. Fred's a great guy. Of course we he call is. him Uncle Fred. I tell you, I'm going to tell you the story quickly. <laughs> Uncle Fred, early in the day, had busted through this wall as a shockmaster on a flare for the goal. Busted through the wall. Everything went good. David Crockett had somebody nail a two-by-four on the bottom of the new wall, which was not there when he busted through the wall the first, first time. time. Okay. <laughs> The voice of Shockmaster was Ole Anderson. He was off in another deal with a microphone. Also the voice say, of the Black Scorpion. He had to say, I am the Shockmaster. I come to kick somebody's ass, you know what I mean? Well, we're all sitting there live, and all of a sudden, the bomb went off, and Fr- Uncle Fred, poor Uncle Fred, Uncle Fred bust through, and he hit that two before that David Crockett had put down Stop. there to sabotage my ass, had put there, and the shockmaster fell flat on his ass. The helmet rolled off. He fumbled for the helmet, and I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there, what we call a gorilla position, and I'm, I'm started to rumble with the left. They almost had to take me to the hospital. And as he fell, and he found the helmet, and he put it back on, and the summit stood up. <laughs> and all these, all these voice started cracking and I'm the shockmaster. So at home they're watching this on television, all the kids. Cody. Young Cody's there. With all the kids, they're watching this. And the kids looked at it in fright and laughing and they looked at it in fright. And Cody turns around to all the other kids and he says, I think that was Uncle Fred. <laughs> and it was Uncle Fred. And if I'm laughing, the, the skit was over. Uncle Fred came out in front of the gorilla position table, and he knelt down and he flopped that helmet down. And he said, and you I can could, stick this. I couldn't, no, I couldn't even. <laughs> I couldn't even talk. He used the F word. He said, I effed this up, didn't I? I said, buddy, I laughed so hard. They took me, had to take me to my room. I mean, I was laughing so hard. You it should've. was an amazing moment, almost as, as amazing as asked the question. My other one was the gobbledygooker. When I see the gobbledygooker, you was involved in. I, I, I had uh, nothing to do with it. But we have a battle all the time, me and Vince, all the time. Which isn't worse? We'll be drinking and having a cocktail together, and he'll say, Shockmaster was the worst. I say, no, the gobbledygooker was the worst. So Shockmaster gobbledygooker had to be two of the top of the line, and Uncle Fred was a great hand here, became world tag team champions here. Him and Avalanche, you know, an earthquake, yeah. mm-hmm. did a great job. Hector Guerrero, but that, great guy. Yeah, but that, and, and Hector, great job. But, man, when he bust through and, and, and fell, and I think, I think he said, David Boy said, God rest his soul. I think David Boy said, he fell on his ass, <laughs> but he, you know, which he did. Speaking of Harlem Heat, that was the second choice for their name. The original idea for the tag team's gimmick was that they were convicts on work release and would be led to the ring in manacles by Colonel Robert Parker called the Posse. The idea almost made it to a TV taping before someone realized that it was probably a bad idea to have chained black men led to the ring by a man dressed as a plantation owner, right? So the idea was quickly dropped. Despite the troubles with the tag team titles and the Shockmasters debut, The Clash did a respectable 3.8 in the ratings. 
A few days later, after the clash, Flair and Sting had a 40-minute match on the Saturday show, which drew a 3.4 rating. The ratings between the clash and Saturday night gets Bischoff a promotion. Reports go out that Terry Funk has been invited to join the booking team, but he declines. Also, WCW considers adding a fourth member to the Horsemen, since Ole isn't appearing with them anymore. Terry Taylor is considered as well, as rehiring the former Midnight Express member Stan Lane. However, Mean Gene Okerlin, the announcer from the World Wrestling Federation, jumps ship to WCW. He will not be allowed to debut until November, though. The booking team continues to set up the Fall Brawl pay-per-view by having Rick Rude attack Flair on a Flair for the Gold, after Flair's maid turned Rude down for a date. They decide to use the footage of Rude holding the NWA title, even though it wasn't the NWA title anymore. So WCW promoted that Rude and Flair will be battling at Fall Brawl for the big gold belt. About the worst sounding thing they could have called it, you know, on television, that's what we call it behind the scenes, and us fans of the IWC, of course, but not the proper official name for a title. Fall Brawl would also be the return of Cactus Jack after his terrible injury. WCW came up with some lame explanation that the Lost in Cleveland skits were some sort of mind game that Jack was doing to race and Vader. But instead of having them return between Cactus and Vader, they had race give a bag that Jack carried with him to his new charge. Yoshi Kwan. He wrestled in the NWA days as Chris Champion, one half of the New Breed Tag Team. When the match was made, Yoshi was undefeated, which was one of the selling points of this match. For some reason, Yoshi lost a televised match just before Fall Brawl occurred, which hurt the promotion over the match. Fall Brawl finally took place on September 19th. Charlie Norris defeated Big Sky, who went on to later fame as Tyler Maine a.k.a. Sabretooth, in the X-Men movie a few years ago. Steve Regal beat Ricky Steamboat for the TV title. Scorpio and Bagwell beat The Equalizer and Paul Orndorff. Ice Train pinned Shanghai Pierce, and Cactus Shack defeated Yoshi Kwan. And just like the May tapings foretold, the Nasty Boys won the tag team titles from Anderson and Roma, with Rude winning the big gold belt from Flair. Sting's team won the War Games match. Eventually, WCW fixed the problem with Rude's belt by announcing that the WCW International Board of Directors were backing the title as the WCW International World Title. At this time, WCW was in a major transition as Eric Bischoff, ready for another promotion, and the WCW International World Title finally being created, World Championship Wrestling was about to take the next step in the history of professional wrestling. Me and Gene Oakland is a part of the promotion. What is next? WCW was ready to become the land of where the big boys play. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Gamefly is the best possible way to get games. It's so easy to use. You just go to the website. Look up any game you want. Add it to your queue. And as soon as you do that, it'll be shipped right to your door. There are no late fees. We play it as long as we want. They have role player games, first person games, superhero games, sports games. If you want to keep the game, it's less than you'd buy it in stores. You can go to Gamefly.com to start your free 30-day trial today. Products shown ready for everyone. Console and games sold separately. Must be 18 years or older to order.
You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, btbcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at btbcast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, btbcast network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com. Go old school with Beyond the Bell. Well, my old school family, Chapter 7 is coming up as the Bischoff era continues as WCW becomes the place where the big boys play as he signs some of the biggest free agents in professional wrestling. We cover this and so much more in Chapter 7 of WCW 101. This edition's content is courtesy of Legacy of Wrestling, DDT Digest, the Mid-Atlantic Gateway, Soli's Vintage Wrestling, and IW Headlines, as well as the PW Torch and the Wrestling Observer. Audio courtesy of the WWE Network, WWE.com, plus the WWE DVD releases, The Rise and Fall of WCW and the history of the World Heavyweight Championship. Also, YouTube and High Spots. Well, fans, we wrap up another chapter. We close the book on the beginning of the Bischoff era, and we're in the middle of this monumental period in WCW history, and we roll on with Chapter 7, where the big boys play in World Championship Wrestling. Until then, this is your old-school host, Sean Beckerman, Signing off. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Bell. Remember to always keep it old school, my friends.